Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm the pastor here. I'm so, so grateful for each and every one of you for being here and for the path that has brought you here. Uh, and I would invite you to pray with me. Um, we always pray before the sermon just as a way of an inviting God in. Um, but today, especially, I, I was so struck. We have a testimony every Sunday because we believe that where we are at in our lives is one of the ways that God speaks to us most profoundly. Um, but I was really struck that Laura talked about marriage and the challenges she's found there. Because this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, the kickoff of summer, tends to be a big wedding weekend. Um, I officiated a wedding yesterday, and when the wedding party was out taking photographs, they ran into 11 other wedding parties oh while God. taking photos around the city. Um, so that's something that's happening in our community today. And I think one of the struggles and lessons and beauties of marriage um, that actually is found by all people in all of our relationships, whether we're single or partnered or married for years or not, um, is this struggle to fully be ourselves and fully see other human beings at the same time. And when we have obstacles, to get through them, not by going distant from one another, but by going all in on each other and with each other. And saying these things of life, we can do them together. So I want us to offer a special prayer for that effort, for that struggle today. <clears throat> God, God of grace, God of glory and magnificence, God of kindness, God of oneness, be with us today. Each of us in our own attempts to be who we want to be in the world in all of our roles, to hear your call and vocation and follow where you would lead us, to, in each of our relationships, be fully ourselves, see fully the other, and know you in all that we see and do. And that when we have troubles, when we aren't sure how to be, what to be, who to be, that we would call upon you, and that we would call upon each other to help us in this challenge we call life. We ask that this day you would be in our words and in our minds and in our hearts, and that if words would slip from us that aren't yours, that aren't of you, um, that we would try again tomorrow, and you as the God of resurrection and forgiveness would be with us again, because there are always second and third and fifth and fifty-fifth chances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I am a person, some of you know this about me. Um, I don't really have a strong internal sense of direction or place or objects or anything. Uh, I don't know where things are. I don't know how big they are. I can't really judge size. Um, and I cannot find my way home. The first couple dozen times I go to a new home that I have, and I've moved around a lot. Maybe this, maybe it's like a psychological reaction to moving around a lot as a kid. I have no idea. I think I'm just bad at it. Um, the first several dozen times I go back to a new home, I am Google Maps all the way in my pocket, right? No matter how many times I have taken that path, because if I don't, I will get lost. I just will. I have walked past my house. I have been standing outside of it and not known that it was my house. Um, I live right now right off of a blue line stop, the Logan Square blue line stop. And I have a two-year-old daughter who I ride the train with a lot. And more than once, she has reminded me, Mama, Mama, off train. Mama, off train. Home. She has recognized the stop, but I have not. Um, so I feel a fascination for people 
um, and things and places and creatures that do seem to know their way. You know, those people that we know that um, seem like they know what to do next. They know how to get home in ways that are more than literal, but are essential. The people who it seems like they always have a center that they return to. And I'm fascinated by creatures that can do this too. Uh, many of you may have heard of homing pigeons, right? Pigeons that can return back to one place. For a while, I sort of thought that those, like, you know, conveniently dropped calls were an invention of TV and movies to make the story work better. There couldn't possibly be these birds that, no matter how far away you take them from their home, or no matter how much you distract them, or put them in a different country, they'd always find their way back to the same place. But it turns out, they're real. Homing pigeons are real. Um, these birds that are quite intelligent, some pigeons can do higher math, so think about that the next time you're irritated by the one in front of you on the bus. Um, they have a lot of senses that we don't have. Some of them uh, can sense the magnetic field of the earth. They think that might be how they find their way home, that they're picking up on all these little signals that we just don't. They have great senses of smell, they have great vision, and they, no matter where you put them, um, uh, even if you disorient them a little bit, uh, even if they're not facing the right direction, they can find their way back to their home, to their one central location. And that's how it works for these birds. It's not that they're, you know, they're not uh, owls from Harry Potter. They won't go wherever you tell them and then go wherever you tell them. They, they always have to return back to this central place before they go out again. They have a home base. They have a place they're so connected to that they can always return to it, and once they have returned to it, they can go out once more. They have this skill. Um, <clears throat> I was reading about them this week, trying to figure out if they were real. Turns out they're homing pigeons who uh, hold high military honors from the French government, because apparently homing pigeons were critical during the Battle of Normandy for carrying messages. Uh, more reasons to respect the pigeons in your life if you live in the city. Um, but they, they have this power to go back, right? Um, they have a home that they return to over and over again. And I think a lot of us have places or ideas or practices that we return to over and over again. We have instincts towards certain things, things that repeat in our lives a lot. Problem is, not all of them are home. Not all of them are healthful. Not all of them are life-given. We have different kinds of patterns, some good, some bad, some neutral. Uh, I have had many a friend who, you know, after a decade or so of their friends pointing it out to them, finally realizes, oh yeah, all my boyfriends kind of are the same, right? <laughs> there's, there's that kind of pattern, keeping on dating the same person over and over again. Um, there's the kind of pattern that we turn to when we are in times where we need comfort, times when it seems that the world has gone wrong or we don't know what to do next. And some of those things are healthy. Uh, some of us return over and over again to a person who we really care about and love. But we return over and over again to the scriptures as a place of centering and home. Um, but for a lot of us, because the world is broken, because we're broken, those patterns, those things we return to aren't quite as life-giving. Um, we return to uh, alcohol, right? Or we return to uh, hating self-talk. Any, anytime something goes wrong, it doesn't feel to you like, oh, this is what happens in the world. There's a place I can return to. I can return to God. It feels like you, your automatic instinct is to say, I'm the worst. Why did I do that? Why did I let that happen? 
Some of us return to blaming of others. We never want to take responsibility. Some of us return to um, other people. We enter into relationships that we shouldn't be in because we're, our pattern is to distract ourselves um, from the difficulties of life. But we all have these homing instincts. The question is just, are they pointed in the right direction? <laughs> have we trained our instincts to take us to a home that actually helps us, that refreshes us, that fulfills us, um, that draws us closer to God and to one another and to life and the source of life. That's how I think about this uh, extraordinary passage uh, about Jesus' baptism. We usually do a longer scripture passage here, but Jesus being baptized is such a profound event. These two verses, I think we could talk about them forever. <laughs> um, for Jesus... I truly believe that these words that the Holy Spirit says to him as they come down in the form of a dove, or my dove dress, or the wrong yeah. thing today, uh, the words that the Holy Spirit says to him, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. That is one heck of a home to be driven back towards. That is one great center to have at your heart to go back to, no matter what else may be going on. And I think that that's what Jesus does. I think we see him do that. This is the beginning of his public ministry. From 30 to 33, Jesus is the man and the savior that we know best. All the stories that we hear about his healings and his preaching um, <clears throat> and his relationships with those who the world told him were not respectable, all of that happens in these next three years, and this is the beginning of it, this baptism where he is drawn out into the desert and baptized with other people, called to repentance by his crazy cousin John, who has chosen to live in the wilderness. Um, I think this becomes this, this total certainty about God's belovedness and creation of him because becomes Jesus's true north, becomes his home star, right? Um, when he is not sure what to do, often Jesus will walk up a mountain uh, and to pray and to reconnect with that God who he knows um, has called him beloved. In his final days before he is betrayed and experiences pain and frustration beyond, he says, take this cup from me, O God, but also not my will but yours be done. He returns to this knowledge that he is God's beloved. And so even if he can't see how such a painful experience might in the end have a purpose, he trusts that God loves him and God's intentions for him are good. I see Jesus over and over again return to this home base, to this center of I am God's beloved. God is well pleased with me. If I can return to that, I can move forward, right? I can take a step into the unknown. I can handle the mystery. I can handle the pain and the frustration. And I think we would do well to learn from Jesus in that to try and make our home, our center, our pattern, our thing that we return to, not the things that the world has taught us. Self-hatred or self-aggrandizement or booze or drugs or sex or whatever it is that has turned into a returning place for you that doesn't bring you joy um, but brings you pain, if it does, but to return to a home place that is full of the knowledge of how loved you are. <laughs> of that you were created, of that you can fail a thousand times and you are still cell by cell made by God. And if you return to knowing that, things will fall a little bit more into place. 
But there's nothing that you can do to draw yourself far away from that. There's nothing that you can do to make that not true. So wherever you find yourself, no matter how confused, how in pain, how bad you have messed up, because we will all mess up and hurt people and do things we're not proud of, that this is a place you can return to, that God's belovedness is center. It is rock. It is brick. It is unassailable. It is always true. And it is always a place that we can return to, a well that we can refresh our hearts with, that changes who we are. And it's not just about us, although it is about the way in which we are beloved. Knowing that you are beloved, I honestly believe, changes how you treat everybody else. Um, I have, uh, uh, you know, plenty of self-worth issues of my own, depression and anxiety. One of the things that has become a sign to me, um, I started to look for signs of when I'm maybe getting, you know, when I should take some intentional time, when I should go up those mountains, when I should pray, when I should spend quiet time. One of the signs to me is that I become much more irritable with the people closest to me. With my husband, with my friends, with the people that I love, I just, my, my fuse gets shorter. <laughs> And that is a signal that I'm also generally, if I then take a look, if I don't allow myself to be distracted by the pace of busyness of the world and all of the distractions that make themselves available, that I also have become quite, quite cruel towards myself. My cruelty towards others and my cruelty towards myself are correlated. My knowledge of the belovedness of myself and my certainty of the belovedness of others are also correlated. When we return to knowing our belovedness that God has made certain, not just for Jesus, but for us, in Genesis 1, in our wounds and our very creation, it changes everything. It changes our lives. And how would it change yours to know that as your home? For Jesus, it happens in this baptismal moment. Um, there's a lot about Jesus' life that we don't know. From 12 to 30, it's an open question. What was Jesus up to? What did he experience? Did he share all of the nonsense that we share? Did he get into fights with friends? Did he disrespect his mama? Like, well, you know, what did he do from 12 to 30? We don't, we don't know, but we know that he was living this human life. And then he had this baptismal moment of certainty in his belovedness and of embracing of the grace of God, and it changed everything. As boring as it may have gotten, if you are a Marvel movie watcher, there's a reason that the superhero movies almost always start with the origin story, right? Um, that it tells us something at the core of who this person is and of what they will return to. And this is Jesus' origin story, this baptism. And to celebrate that, we, uh, the staff of Urban Village talked about our own baptisms this week. We decided to share with one another the story of our baptisms to try and find somewhere to root ourselves in God's belovedness. And there are a lot of different experiences of baptism, so if you are baptized, which you might not be, um, that may have been an experience for you of drawing closer to God, it might not have been. For me, it was an in-between. I had grown up non-religious. Uh, I had started going to church, and I felt so drawn towards this love and this joy and this God that people were talking about that I <coughs> asked to get baptized, and they did. But there was still a lot I didn't know about what I was getting into, about what church was. My brothers got baptized next to me. I think my parents figured if we're going to do one, let's do them all. Um, you know, it's a three for one deal. Uh, but that was the beginning of something really important. And so I want us to return to our own origin stories for a little bit, for a minute, just to think about where this belovedness is and isn't in our lives. So you could find a friend, or if you, if you really hate talking to people, that's okay. You be you. You can sit quietly and think about it. Um, find a friend and share with them the story of your baptism, if it has happened, or the story of what you think about baptism, if it hasn't. What did it mean to you? 
Was it a place where you found God's belovedness? Um, and what was that experience for you? And how does it shape you now? So find, find a buddy. Was there anything that uh, you considered or were talking about in your baptism story that has struck you for the first time that you find interesting in this uh, thing of lovedness? Is there anything you'd like to share with the big group? It's on your mind about your baptism. I was baptized many times, like many, many, many times, by my born-again Christian mother, and like revivals that we'd attend, and like kid camps that we go to, and I think it became such a like, I want to be born again, 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 but like it wasn't, at a certain point, it was just going swimming and like having a reason to cry with a bunch of teenagers, so I definitely did that at least 17 times, like, and I don't know if that is good or bad, but it definitely wasn't. Spiritual thing, it was like a spectacle thing. Yes. So that, I don't know if that's unique, but it's definitely fun. No, we have, we have several folks who've had this experience. Um, what I'll offer to you is if you have been baptized multiple times, there is nothing wrong with you guys. I'm mad at you. That is okay. Um, from my perspective, though, uh, a pastor or a community that would agree to baptize you again, to do multiple times, um, is not in full understanding of what baptism is. Sure. Because if what baptism is, is something that God does, it's not something that we do, and so we can't do it wrong. Like, your first baptism sticks. It may not have been in exactly the community you would have chosen, the person who poured the water or dunked you in the water may have had a different theology than you have today, um, but God's miracles stretch a lot farther and a lot bigger than stuff like that. And your first baptism, whatever it was, um, God naming and claiming you into God's family, whether you were a child or an adult, whether you understood or resented or embraced it, um, was something that God did. And you don't need to do it over again. <laughs> you don't need to do it over again. So that's what I'll offer about that. Because we do get that question sometimes. I think, um, and what frustrates me about, particularly in that story, and your story is not uncommon, um, is that... This idea, right, that we uh, like weren't sorry hard enough the first yeah, time, or we, it, it can still be seen in us that we're not good enough, or that we're not like, well, of course we aren't. We're human. Baptism doesn't make you not human anymore. Um, but also, God's belovedness goes with you. It's not. It's not something that you can get rid of, no matter how you how hard you try. <laughs> Other baptismal memories, experiences, yeah. For the first time, probably. Since I was baptized when I was small, I remember the verse that I used. Um, it was, for I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. For it's God who, Christ who lives within me. Um, and for some reason, like, it kind of choked me up when I thought of it. Um, I don't know why, but... <laughs> uh, Christ lives in you, right? Um, part of a baptism is that while there are things that we're becoming alive to, and this is the crucifixion, there's also things that we're becoming dead to, right? We're becoming dead to um, certain ideas about ourselves or practices in ourselves that um, have brought us farther away and not closer to Christ. And that, that embracing, right, of the Christ in you is a part of the whole thing. Just like, well, I'm so glad you remembered that. I like that. Other experiences of this? So... No matter what your experience, your, your baptism may be your origin story of faith, it might not be. 
Um, it might be the moment in which you learned your belovedness. It might not be. But what I would commend to you is that you do what Jesus did, which is not knowing the road ahead, embrace the grace that God has offered. Which in some moments for him was getting baptized with this big community of people. In some moments for him was resisting whatever others were doing, right? Like flipping tables and throwing things. In some moments was sharing bread and cup with his loved ones. In some moments was going up to a mountain to pray. But that Jesus, um, in every moment, the confusing ones and the easy ones and the hard ones and the good ones, knew his belovedness and embraced God's grace. And that is a thing that we can start to do, too. We're not going to become perfect at it overnight. The habits are too ingrained, right? The, the, the learning to rely on things that aren't God's love has been around for too long. But it is still open to us to move towards this new center, this new center of belovedness that could become the center of who we are. When I was looking up homing pigeons, uh, one of the things I was really curious about was, can a pigeon learn to have a new home, right? They get so ingrained. Can, can, can one of these birds that for 15 years has been returning to the same place over and over and over again, um, has always been going to the same coop, to the same buddies, to the same friends, is it possible that they could ever learn a new one? Say that building goes away, something new gets built, the person moves. Is that pigeon just forever homeless? They're returning to an empty place? Um, and it turns out they can. <laughs> you can retrain yourself no matter how hard it seems. You can learn a new center, a new home, a new sense of who you are and who you want to be in the world. It just takes some things. For a pigeon, it takes some time where they're very quiet and dark and don't leave their coop. They need a little recuperation time. Right? Which I think for us, we need that meditation and that prayer time, that returning to silence to hear what God might be saying, that returning um, to just pausing and stopping to see what is it that I'm doing over and over again? <laughs> Where is it that I'm finding death? Where is it that I'm finding life? We so often fill our life with so much, we never even know where we've been returning to that hasn't been helping us. We need that quiet time, that dark time. And then slowly, um, that place starts to become their new home through acts of joy and connection. The new person at their home uh, gives them food, or they play with their little pigeon friends. Um, and we need those, those, those moments of connection and joy with each other. As counterintuitive as, as it seems, you're never going to figure out that God loves you by yourself. You need your church community, you need your family, you need your people around you to keep reminding you, this is who we are, this is what we're trying to do, this is what I see in you that is extraordinary. So we need those, those moments of connection and joy and, and sharing of bread. And then they start experimenting. I start letting the birds out, taking short little trips and returning home, taking a few steps this way, and often they don't get it right away. <laughs> You know, they don't always return to the right place immediately. The first few trips have to be short. We will not learn that we are loved overnight. If we had the recipe for that, we'd be as big as the secret. <laughs> what we do have the recipe for is something much more honest than false positive thinking, which is the truth that God made you. God made every bit of you. God adores you. 
And that can be the center of your knowledge and your being. And in the moments when it's not, God will love you enough to make up for it. And so we'll take these short trips, we'll take them together, we'll make our first attempts to know our belovedness at our core. And we will mess up and we will fail. This series is all about failing boldly. And then we'll try again. Because if Jesus can come back to life, what can possibly get in our way? <laughs> what can possibly stop us from always having more and more opportunities to get close to this extraordinary love that is the center of who God is? So we're going to experiment with each other. We're going to try. We're going to try and find new centers in ourselves and new centers in the world that we can return to as our own. A belovedness that extends beyond all things, no matter how bad we thought it was, how hopeless. That belovedness we will find, and we will find it together. And when we find our own belovedness, we're going to find everybody else's too. So let's follow Jesus on this path. It might take us a little more than three years. It might take us a little more than a lifetime, but it is a journey that is promised to us. So why not go on it together? You are beloved. I am beloved. Jesus has told us so, so let's go find out together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.